My name is Tim, as Cody mentioned. If I've not met you, uh, welcome to CLA. These are such unique days that we are in. It goes without saying. Uh, so many things to be thinking about. There is often, in a, any given week, for myself personally, conversations that I find uh, myself getting into that I never expected, uh, whether it has to do with theology or the state of the political uh, climate in our country or how churches are navigating this chapter of, of life or how uh, you're doing as families. Often, those are my favorite conversations, of course, uh, getting into relationship. And during pre-service prayer this morning, Nadia was leading us, as she does so often, uh, hearing the Holy Spirit. And I just want to commend you for that, as I do, uh, for your just willingness to, to speak things and, and contend for things that, that have value and that matter, and that the Holy Spirit is trying to get our attention on. And she said a line that I haven't forgotten for the last 45 minutes, and she said, community is so hard, but the value and the worth on the other side has uh, incredible, uh, just an incredible opportunity for each and every one of us to experience from and learn from and receive from. Those are my own words, but that's often the, the emotion that I've been feeling these last few months specifically, trying so desperately to rise above all of the voices and the opinions and um, the, the, the climate that is out there and trying to ask the Lord what it, what it, is, what it is that he is saying for today. How many of you feel like you've, you've definitely been impacted or affected by what we are seeing and feeling and being told what to do and what not to do? How many of you would say that that has taken a toll on you personally? If it hasn't, can I meet you, please? And you can give me the secrets on how to, uh, how to walk through unique waters like we are. I could stand up here for a long time and give you... Uh, a list of questions that I'm sure many of us are asking, asking the Lord for uh, wisdom and, and, and values on direction and what to stand up for and what not to say and what to say and how to say it. And there's so many things that at least I carry in my heart that, that keep me up at night. And I feel like the Lord is just reminding me today that that he has it all under control. He really does. And I know that's so cliche in nature, and we say it often from the stage, and we say it to each other. But we have to, we have to believe that in order to have a revelation that Holy Spirit is actually moving, even through these very trying times, that he knows the beginning from the end, and he has a purpose for us as a church and for us as, as individuals and as families. He cares about where we are heading in September. He cares that we, that we have a, a season that, that, that has a thriving fruit to it and not just a surviving mentality. I believe that. 
and you're very quiet today, and I understand that emotion because that's kind of been my, my demeanor the last few days. Surprisingly enough, even though we introduced a brand new puppy into our family on Friday, uh, she's here today. You can go, go see her uh, in the nursery. Maybe not, but well, she's only a few weeks old, and I would, you would think that even an emotional uh, moment like that, in, that, that, that influx of joy into our home would shift my, my heart, and of course it did, but it was temporary. It, it brought me back again to just the weight that I know so many of you and so many people are feeling in these days, and I have said often through this summer that the important part of navigating through times like this is making sure that you as a person are healthy because it starts right here. It doesn't start with a healthy marriage or a healthy career or healthy friendships. Those are great, who agrees? But before any of that, it starts with, with you as an individual. And that's what the Lord has brought me to today as we continue in the conversation of identity and of calling. I have realized through this summer that there aren't enough weeks uh, to, to touch on the depth of, of the, the importance and the value of this topic. There just isn't. But what there is is a, an opportunity even today and next week online for me to look at a, two things that I believe are pivotal in, in navigating towards and moving towards a healthy person from within so that everything we produce in our life has a value and an impact and an influence that we can be proud of and ultimately that, that portrays who Jesus is through our lives. There's been so many moments even through this summer where I'm just disappointed in my reaction disappointed in how I handled the situation, discouraged how, how that unfolded because of this or this. Who's, who's with me on that? Come on, it's like, Jesus, help us. We can do this. And community is hard, but man, we need each other. We need each other more today than, than I feel like I've needed people in my whole life. I'm an optimist, and... When an optimist is feeling discouraged, you know, you know the weight of, of the, the surroundings are, are, are difficult and tough. And God, I believe, has given me a picture into what it's like not to have glass half full all the time, which if you know me well, you know that is who I am authentically and, and, and truly my character as a person, how God's created me to be, and I'm thankful for that. But he's brought me into this window of, of really having to lean not on my own understanding, but following in his steps that he would direct, he would direct, acknowledging him in every, every situation, every circumstance that's in front of us. And as I've said through this summer, the, the basic premise throughout these months has been looking at our self-awareness or at times lack of self-awareness that that has a direct bearing on our relationship with God who agrees how we view ourselves our relationship with others other people as well as our relationship with with our, our own selves 
the self-awareness of what's going on internally on every, any given day in our life. Now, this is certainly nothing new. And again, I apologize. We don't have slides today, so you have to listen very diligently this morning. Can we do that? Hello? Okay, wonderful. Even Augustine said this back in the fourth century. He said, may I know you, may I know myself. He was obviously talking to God in that moment in a prayer. Another wonderful intellect in Christianity, Western Christianity, uh, Thomas A. Kempis said, a humble self-knowledge is a surer way to God than a search after deep learning. And there's a guy even more recently, an author, David Benner, who wrote a book, The Gift of Becoming Yourself. He said, Christian spirituality has a great deal to do with self, not just with God. The goal of the spiritual journey is the transformation of self. This requires knowing both our self and God. Both are necessary if we are to discover our true identity as those who are in Christ as the scriptures tells us, because the self is where we meet God. Both are also necessary if we are to live out the uniqueness of our vocation. I'll plug in there our calling. Over and over and over again for thousands of years, teachers of the way of Jesus have said that you can't get very far down that path of a transformed heart until you discover identity and calling. You just cannot. It is, a, it is a long and trying road until you have that assuredness of who God's called you to be and what direction he's leading you in in any given season. I believe it's trickier even in modern times like we are living in because of all the complexities and the distractions and the voices and the opinions uh, that we are and succumb to every day or need to find, we find the need to wrap our heads around with everything that surrounds us. But there's good news because identity calling isn't something that you create. That's a good thing. It's not something that we create. It's something that we receive from the creator of the universe. Who thinks that's good news? We don't create it. It's something that, it's a gift. We receive that. Made in the image of Christ, he has, he has it in front of us for us to receive from. It's a gift. It's not something that you make up, but it's something that you discover as you follow Christ. Because the person you are becoming in Christ isn't an accomplishment that you brag about on earth. It is a gift that you receive from heaven. I have such a conviction about this, especially in this season. So we have this journey to go on for self-discovery that is all wrapped up in our discipleship with Jesus. And there's no better way down this treacherous road than with Jesus himself. So that is my plea to all of us. I submit that this morning, that the journey that we're on today if you have not for a while or ever, would you invite Jesus back beside you to walk with you down this road? We heard so much, as Cody mentioned, from our dear friend, Venetia, last week with the foundation that we were partnering with, the Terminator Foundation. 
the journey that she is on, I would say with confidence that she has invited Jesus to walk with her amongst all the pain and the disappointment and the tragedy and the trial. She is walking with an assuredness of calling, an assuredness of who God has created her to be. And she hasn't allowed her circumstances to define the direction that she is moving in. And it is impacting thousands and thousands of people. If you did not hear her, her uh, testimony, I'd encourage you to go back online and listen. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 4. If you have your Bible or your phone, I'll let you pull out your phone just this time because we don't have uh, uh, the screens. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. I want to read a couple stories. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Christ said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Hear this, Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. Notice the word called there in verse 21. There's so much depth under the surface of, of this word. The word called is translated actually by the word vocation. That's where we get this word vocation. This is where we get the idea of calling from Jesus and this implies that there is a journey of some kind that you and I need to go on. And he is inviting us on that journey. Many here in this room and online have said yes to that journey. Maybe some have not. Listen today diligently to the words of Christ. As I believe he is desiring for every single person to hear this and to be transformed by the invitation of Christ in our lives. Let's turn to Matthew 9, verse 9 as well. Another story. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting, as the tax collector, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and he followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with these tax collectors, these sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinner. Maybe we need to be reminded of this this morning. Who is it that Jesus calls? The sinner. Jesus uses this word three times in this story, all to drive his point home that he calls the sinner. He calls the sinner. That is you and me and all of humanity. This journey that we go on to follow Jesus has nothing to do with our sin or our shortfalls. Oh, I'm, I'm, excuse me there. Has something to do, not nothing to do. That didn't make any sense. It has something to do with our sin and our shortfalls. Matthew in this moment is 
is the character that we want to look at this morning. And there is a correlation between who he was and who Jesus was calling him to be. He went on a journey from becoming a, the writer of the gospel of Matthew as the product of obedience and identity and calling. He came all the way from being a tax collector who was hated by everyone to this amazing general in the faith that we draw from, all of us from this Gospel of Matthew, a story that I'm sure we can be encouraged by. At one level, our calling is just to follow Jesus, but at another, this implies that there is a journey we have to go on, and there are at least two dimensions, if not more, but two that I'll look at today and next week that take us down this journey the two dimensions are this, inward and outward. The inward journey is the process of going from who we are to who we are becoming in Christ. It has to do with the transformation of the core of our character, the deep core of, of who we are, the character and identity within us. And the outward is more of this uh, idea of vocation, it is what we go out and do. It is our work in the world. Both are part of our calling to follow Jesus. But one is not necessarily more important than the other. But both have value that we need to unpack. And today, we look at the inward. Next week, we look at the outward. Can we do that for a few minutes? Who's with me? Inward journey. I want us to have a look. As soon as you set off on that inner journey, the first wall that you hit is this idea, and I'm going to say the word, sin. Even just saying that word, I, I know, has, has a direct effect on all of us. Pastor, are you going to go there today? Yeah. Because it's really important. And you know my heart with all of this. It's to build up and to edify and to encourage, but there's a value in looking at how this, how this uh, peace directly affects identity, the inward side. I know it's loaded. It triggers childhood. It triggers family of origin, upbringing, maybe church wound. All of us are affected differently when I say the word sin. But stay with me, I promise you, it will be worth it. We live in a cultural denial. That is our present day of, of what theologians call this, this idea of original sin. Some would debate what that means, what that looks like. But the idea is that there is a denial that this even exists. Our secular post-Christian world has brought us into this lie that you can have the kingdom of God or the benefits of this without the king at the center. You can have a world, listen, you can have a world of equality and justice where there's no more racial tension, no more socioeconomic disconnect, disparity, and you don't need Jesus for that. You don't need to be saved. We'll take care of that ourselves. That has been a very dominating opinion and perspective 
that all of us have faced, especially in these last few years. All we need in Canada is the right prime minister, the right political party, the right political theories, the right forms of education, the the right redistribution of wealth. How many of you know what I'm talking about? This is the narrative that we are constantly debating about, which is dividing the closest of friends, not just friends, but family and marriages and relationships that we hold so dear to us in whatever context that is for you. Now, I'm all for those things because they are wonderful things. Don't get me wrong. But there's just a minor kink in the idea, and I say that, of course, with a smile on my face. It's, it's called the human condition. The human condition that is you and I. At the end of the day, the wall that you hit by your own self and in our society as a whole is what theologians call sin, sin nature. You don't have to have a PhD in this field, whether it's sociology or psychology, to figure out that there is a part of every single human being that is bent out of shape, all of us. We all do things that we don't want to do, and we don't do things that we want to do. We all experience that. And even when we do the things that we want to do, our motives are often nowhere near as pure as we'd like people to think. Who's with me? Something that has gutted me this last few weeks as I have been searching my own heart on that wrestle towards understanding my true motive and who I really am at the core. We all have patterns of thinking and feeling and relationships relationship stuff with pain and with baggage. If you're anything like me, I see almost like a mirage on this horizon of who I'm becoming in Christ. I, I, I see myself 20, 30, 40 years from now as an, as an older gentleman in his maybe 70s or 80s or 90s, God willing. I see after decades of relationship with Jesus, how that could look and what that, what that would mean as I stay the course. Anybody thought about that? Maybe I'm weird, I don't know. But after, after decades of relationship with Jesus, but yet between here and there is, is an obstacle or two, maybe four, or maybe even 10 or 20 or many, many obstacles in the way of who I am today and who I desire to be 40 years from now and a legacy for, for my family and for influence. And in this library of scripture, that obstacle, again, is sin. Now, we think of sin as a religious word that's fallen out of favor. And yes, that is true. But if you trace this word all the way back to its roots in the Garden of Eden, you actually realize that sin is a failure to trust God and his, def- his definition of good and evil. To set aside, to take on the place of God yourself. To swap creation for creator. To think that you know better than God. 
to redefine morality for yourself and your society, and then to live in such a way that causes separation from the garden, and in the end, ultimately, it leads to death. That is a real reality. Sin defined, interesting as I look this up, gentleman by the name of Cornelius Plantinga says, the culpable or guilty, blameworthy is that word, dis- disturbance of shalom. A disturbance of shalom. Shalom, we know in Hebrew, is peace. But it's also more than just peace. Shalom has Beautiful meaning, it means health and wholeness and joy without limit. These are the things that are disturbed. When we sin, we are responsible for the disturbance of our shalom, our peace, our health, our wholeness, our joy. Richard Rohr says this, sins are fixations that prevent the energy of life. God's love from flowing freely. They are self-erected blockades that cut us off from God and hence from our own authentic potential. That's, that's wordy, but there's so much truth in that. No matter the shortfall in our life, whether it's addiction, whether it's character issue, whether it is the challenge of just wrestling through your identity and, 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 and speaking death over your life and words that have no life whatsoever. These are the blockades. These are the things that disturb shalom. Sin cuts off the relationship with God. We have to first and foremost think about sin not through a legalistic category but a relational category hear this that God is our father and we are his sons and daughters it's not that there is a line and you crossed over it or there's a relational breach an obstacle between you and God and between you and I reaching our full potential and all that life all that life has and comes out of relationship with the father and life as God intended it to be Jesus in this story that we read compared sin to an illness that we need healing from. And that's what it means to be saved and to be healed and restored. In order to follow Jesus, at some point we have to go head to head with our sin, with our shortfalls. And by that I mean I just, I'm not just looking at behavior. It's not behavior modification. It's, it's much deeper at the core Robert Mulholland, in his book, Invitation to a Journey, I recommend it, has this paradigm from the early church fathers and mothers of of four layers of of, of sin. This is very interesting. I found it uh, so, so interesting to look at that I thought to bring it to you this morning. That deals with, that we deal with on our journey. They called, they called it purgation purification or purging, a burning away of sin one layer at a time, a burning away of the things that, that cause us a disconnect from, from experiencing the love of the Father or seeing ourselves through a lens that is pure and full of joy and full of peace. Let's look at this very fast. Purgation, number one, again, this is not modern language, but he calls it gross sin. 
murder, stealing, idolatry, adultery, the ones that no matter what area of culture you decide to, uh, to go towards or talk to, there is a, probably across the board an agreement that there's some things that are unacceptable no matter what your background is or what you believe. Second is this idea of deliberate sin. This is interesting, where it's socially acceptable in culture at large, yet are not the ways of Jesus. Some examples would be sexuality, and we could take forever to talk about that, you understand. Materialism, gossip, a language that offends. Some, often in culture, those things are acceptable in in certain contexts, but certainly, as I said, not the way of Jesus. Third is this idea of unconscious sin. Over time, in love, Jesus starts to reveal the ugly bits and pieces of our personhood that early on you were not aware of. What we think of these things often are called blind spots. You have them, I certainly have them, all humanity does. They are most often internal and not external, more relational than behavioral, and they have to do with patterns of thinking and feeling on how we relate to other people. Let me explain that to, to you just for clarity. For example, taking the three, the, those three areas that I talked about in purgation, the, the, the example is gross sin would be murder, the deliberate sin is to scream at your family and the deliberate sin, excuse me, the unconscious sin is that you've worked through this outward manifestation but you're still seething with anger underneath the surface. So there's this understanding of who you need to be publicly. There's a behavioral wisdom or maturity that is created this idea of who you are yet unconsciously at times you recognize that underneath there is still a lot of anger and you're still bitter and you're still frustrated about something that happened years and years ago this one really got me thinking in my own life you keep your mouth mouth shut now but inside you're still full of contempt and even superior, superiority because maybe I'm so much better, you feel, than the other person or whatever it is. Then, of course, there are sins of commission, omission, issues, and motivations. I don't have time to get into that, but often those things are very unconscious, and that's where he puts them in this category. God has to move so slow, a little bit at a time, layer after layer in our lives, as we know, because... It gets ugly. There are blind spots, and often we have not looked here on purpose because we're embarrassed, we're ashamed, and our self-esteem is low, and we don't feel that we're ready to actually deal with the disconnect. Again, for the sake of time, I'll leave it at that for number three. But it's a big one. It's an area that all of us can look internal and figure out where we are at. Fourthly, in this area is called the trust structures. Those deep inner postures of our being that do not rely on God but on self for our well-being. 
our emotional programs that we create for happiness in our lives, meaning the ways we cope with sadness in life and the ways that we go after our happiness, things that we look to for a sense of security that do not go by the name of Jesus. We all have it. Notice that only the first two layers have to do with behavior. And if you really deal with is your behavior, best case scenario, this is what I love, what he said, the best case scenario is you become a Pharisee. Ouch. These guys were really well behaved. But it seems to me that Jesus was more bothered by self-righteousness than he was lousy behavior. (laughs) That's not because lousy behavior isn't a big deal, but self-righteousness is really nasty. Who's with me? (laughs) Thank you, Cody. Shadow side. Let me define this. The accumulation of untamed emotions, less than pure motives and thoughts that while largely, as I said, unconscious, strongly influence and shape our behaviors. It is the damaged but mostly hidden version of who you and I are. That's the shadow side. We all have a light that we project out into this world, and our light is brilliant and it's beautiful, but there is a backside weakness to our strengths and that's the shadow, the shadow side. Because the truth is, best, the best parts of you are also and can be the worst parts of you as well. Who knows what I mean by that? Your greatest strengths can be your greatest weaknesses. And this all unfolds and manifests in life in an unhealthy way when we are ultimately living in an unhealthy reality with unresolved issues and pain and bitterness towards the things of our past. So much more I could say on that, but I'll land the plane here this morning. One of the key tasks of this discipleship or apprenticeship or relationship with Jesus is to take off the mask of our false self, to face our shadow side head on and to purge as best we can from this sin in our life. Not out of guilt and with shame because you and I are loved by God. We all know that. But in order to step out into identity and calling and experience what Jesus has called us to, this life to the fullest, all of us have an invitation to experience that. And we all have an opportunity to receive from that. It's a posture and a willingness to go there in our hearts. The challenge is is that so often we are blinded, as I said, by the shadow side. The tricky thing about blind spots is that you can't see them. The human capacity for self-deception or deceiving what's really going on within is actually quite terrifying. We know this form uh, of, of, of posture can create for so many uh, a road 
of, of loneliness and despair because we're not connecting the dots. We're not giving ourselves an opportunity to see things through a lens that God desires. Blind spots are present. We know this from scripture and psychology, of course, and obviously the morning news. We see it and read about it and experience it all throughout our lives. We need tools to unmask our false self, to drag our shadow side out into the light and to expose it and to deal with it, to put it to death in order to experience the resurrection of Jesus. He has given us that invitation. Well, Pastor, why? Why all this focus on on sin and shadow side or shadow mission in life? This is heavy today. Well, I pray that it's not it doesn't come across as heavy. I pray you feel in your heart a sense of invitation towards being transformed from the inside out. Isn't it more important just to focus on Jesus? This is a focus on Jesus, actually, in a way. Because it puts, it puts all the pressure off of us trying to figure this out in our own strength and actually realizing that we serve a God who took care of these details, who went ahead of us and, 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 and sacrificed for each and every one so that we could find righteousness through Christ. That is our gift for each and every person on this earth. The short answer to these questions is that you can't change what you're unaware of. So that's my invitation this morning. David Brenner says, any hope that you can know yourself without accepting the things about you that you wish were not true is an illusion. Reality must be embraced before it can be changed. You can never be on the other, or excuse me, you can never be other than who you are until you are willing to embrace the reality of who you are. Only then can you truly become who you are most deeply called to be. Truth is, the things about ourselves that we refuse to acknowledge actually have the most power and authority in our life. The things we avoid most will torment us the most. We think that not by dealing with our shadow side it will go away, but in the long term, it's actually a disaster waiting to happen. There's been moments in my life where I've seen that manifested, and it's ugly. I know it's Harder to look internally to our own lives, but man, I'm sure we can think of a dozen people that, have, that you've experienced that from in their life. When this long-term avoidance of character creates an outcome that causes pain and disconnect and frustration and isolation, depression, all things that we see. The right time to deal with blind spots, I believe, is now. It's an invitation to die to the things that so easily entangle us. An invitation to freedom and to healing from Jesus himself. I believe at at 40 years old, I turned 40 this year, 
I'm just old enough to realize the obvious, that the most important thing in life is the person that you become and the relationships that you cultivate. That's important. That, of course, com combined with an understanding of Jesus, which is ultimately how we discover who we become and who he has made us to be. And I close with this th this morning. The idea of a resum resume virtues versus eulogy virtues. This is something that I discovered this week. Uh, author by the name of David Brooks wrote a book called The Road to Character. And he talks about resume versus eulogy. I'm all for a resume virtue, career, etc., achievement, whatever. It has, it has value where we can give glory to God for his provision and his supernatural abundance in, in areas where there should not have been, but yet he made it happen through the miracle. That, that is a beautiful thing. And don't get me wrong, I'm going to talk a little bit about that next week online. I'm about these things, but eulogy virtues are about what people say about you at your funeral. Now, right here, yesterday afternoon, we, we had a celebration of life. I had the honor of hosting this celebration of Adele Parrott, who some of you have no clue who she was, but many of you do. A woman that called CLA home for many, many years. One who took on a role in this church when we first arrived here a few years ago as a family. As I said in the funeral yesterday, probably the first meaningful, life-giving moment of conversation that I had with the existing church family here was with Adele. She made a point to look me in the eye and tell me how grateful she was that we were here. And she looked past title and, and, and role and all things that sometimes distract. And I, I could see from the very beginning that she cared about Tim as a husband and as a father and as one who was in a season of life where there was a lot of change going on. And she was sensitive to these things and she cared deeply about making sure I knew that she was available at any time to talk and to connect, even when she started to hear about the news of her sickness, which ultimately took her life just a few years later. And I think about this, and that's why this has impacted me so much this weekend about this idea of resume virtue versus eulogy virtue. The things that people say at your funeral, usually it has nothing to do with your career or your job or how many businesses you started or how successful you were on paper. It's the person that you did or did not become and the relationships that you did or did not cultivate. That's the virtues that I'm interested in. At the end of the day, what really matters is eulogy, virtue. 
the main thing that everyone gets out of life, including God, is the man or woman we become through our apprenticeship with Jesus, our discipleship with Jesus. You can't save yourself. Self-help will go only down a road temporarily, but it will not get you to your destination. You can't save yourself. We all, many of us in this room know that. But that's the beauty of Jesus. He says, come and follow me and he will save you. He will heal you. Come and die to self and he will give you life to the fullest. Let's stand this morning. We are, we are in some really special days. And when, we, when you can feed and look past and kind of feed through all of the weeds that are in front of us, the distractions and the voices and the opinions, there is actually a very clear mandate on the church moving forward. I believe it's an invitation into community, into building family, a place that isn't necessarily a void of confrontation or void of different opinions or beliefs. I actually believe when we get to that place, there will be, there will be a celebration of differences. A trust that is built on not having to all think the same, feel the same, talk the same. There's actually something so kingdom about that that really excites me. We're seeing that even in our own staff. If you were to put us all in a room one at a time and ask us 10 questions about theology, about political preference, about go down the list, you're going to get a diversity. But what God has done is he has binded us together in a way that I, I, I feel and sense a strength that I've, uh, that I've ever, never experienced before in a context like this. And to me, that brings me great hope for the future. And as God has given me like a micro context of what that could look like, my prayer is that we will, that will manifest through our church family as a whole. And there will be a season ahead with fulfillment, with vision, with purpose, where we wake up every morning feeling like we are being led by the Spirit of God. But church, we can't get there until deep within there is moments of vulnerability and a willingness to work on the inside. It's not about perfection. It's not about anything like that. It's, it's about a willingness to say, God, search my heart. See if there's any offensive ways in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. Lead me in that direction. And it's going to take courage. And it's going it's to be hard. 
And we can't do it alone, but we need each other. And when you look across this room and you say, I could never, I would never be friends with that person. They're so not like me. There's something about that that I would invite you into actually giving it a chance and seeing what a relationship like that could actually produce in your life. Opening up your world to to being the hands and feet of Jesus with those that God is putting and surrounding you with. That's my prayer. Let's pray as we close. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for these moments. It's not easy to talk about sin and shadow side and motive. Lord, I pray that my heart, what was translated today was a heart of humility, a heart of grace. One who is running this race alongside each and every one here today. Those who would call CLA home and beyond. Lord, I pray that we would not shy away in the fall from the things in our life that you are desiring for us to to look at, to consider, to have courage to, to deal with. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name for courage. I pray that as we lift each other up and as, as we feel the support from one another, that there would be, there would be a confidence that we're not alone. We're not doing this by ourselves, but we are actually running with a family that's willing to go the extra mile. God, where there's disconnect even in that area, would you show us, would you reveal, would you help us understand the things, even corporately, the shadow side that you want to deal with, I say that we are open to understanding that as well. God, I thank you quickly, Lord, even for, for our dear friend Paul Moore. I received an update from this morning from Leanne, who he's still in ICU. He's still receiving uh, help to breathe from the necessary means. Lord, I pray healing over his life. I pray for Paul that he would, even in this moment right now, sense your presence. Uh, A family surrounding him and agreeing in prayer together for his healing in Jesus' name. Would you give us an understanding and, and and a wisdom on how to care for this family and how to continue to care for the needs of each other? I speak these things over each of us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you, church, as you go. Have a great afternoon. Remember, we are not here next week. We'll be online. But come back in two weeks, this room. There'll be a transformation in here. We're gonna put some new things together and kick the fall off with some brand new perspective. We love you. God bless you. Have a-